0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 897 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Over the past few weeks, the opioid drug crisis emerged as a main topic of public debate. Many times, advocates and supporters of people with addictions urged politicians and bureaucrats to include consultations with people with lived experience. That term, lived experience, means different things to people. It also is a perspective that many don't understand. What's it like to live with an addiction or to be recovering from an addiction? On today's show, this experience is the focus. Ashley Smoke, a 33-year-old Port Hope resident, will share her story. She lived with an addiction for 18 years. Now she is recovering. She is a mother of a four-year-old son, plus she is a longtime advocate for people with addictions. She recently formed Northumberland Drug Users Unite, a group seeking to dispel myths about people who face or are recovering from an addiction. I'm so pleased to have with me today Ashley Smoke, a person from Northumberland County with lived experience with drug use. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: If I were to meet you at a party and I asked you, tell me about yourself, what would you say?
1: Oh, I said I would say that I'm first and foremost a mother. Um someone who does a lot of advocacy in the community and someone who has been through a really hard time, but have been able to use that to strengthen my own life and then help others in their struggles. so uh, yeah i I say I'm just like a normal person, and i I just happen to have used drugs.
0: If you and I were at a meeting that was a gathering for the Northumberland Drug Users Unite and I asked you, tell me about yourself, what would you say then?
1: I would say that I'm I'm an advocate, um, an activist, and someone who actively ruptures systems of oppression. I would say that I started my own drug user um organization with the Ontario Network of People Who Use Drugs with a group of people. I started a drug user organization in Northumberland. I work with Health Canada to advise them on their drug policy and I work with Public Health Ontario to advise them on their their substance use and um overdose prevention methods. So That's what I would say I do.
0: (laughs) I'd like to take a few moments that we might get to know you a bit better. So tell me, where were you born?
1: I was born in Oakville, Ontario, but grew up in Peel and Mississauga and Brampton my whole life.
0: What was your childhood like?
1: I had a great childhood. I, I would have thought that I had one of the better childhoods out of all the people I knew. I had great parents I mean they got divorced and that kind of threw my life into a different trajectory but I think yeah like I just was normal like all the other kids i'm I was indigenous in a group of or in a school of um a bunch of kids that weren't like me, so I always felt kind of outcasted but my childhood was fairly normal and not full of like abuse or any of those trademark things that people like to assume happen to people who use drugs.
0: How about your teen years? What were those like?
1: Those were a little more stressful. (laughs) I would go um, to school and hang out with kids that maybe like smoke too much weed or didn't go to school because I was trying to fit in and I was trying to find my place in the world. And I experimented a lot and eventually somewhere along the line, experimentation turned, but I've always been successful in my life in one way or another. So,
0: When did you first begin to take illegal drugs?
1: So I mean back when I was in high school weed was illegal so I would say when I was like 13 I would be smoking weed and drinking but it was really more like a coping mechanism because I wasn't doing those things with other people or like it wasn't peer pressure necessarily I was trying to cope and have I now know that I have a lot of mental health issues so like I was probably trying to self-medicate but Yeah, I I would say 13. I started smoking and drinking. But then, you know, I got in a car accident when I was in my late teens. And that kind of threw my whole life off. And I started taking opiates that were prescribed. And then one thing led to another. And yeah, then opiates turned into like illegal drugs.
0: Can you help us understand the process or the transition between these various phases? I mean, you said you started out, you know, you had a car accident, you received some opiates to obviously manage pain. How, how does, for those who don't experience this, it would seem really foreign to them to say, well, how did you go from that to to this? Can you help us better understand that transformation or that transition? So,
1: for me and everyone's different but for me the transition wasn't just like it didn't just evolve I think something major always happened in my life like something that was fairly catastrophic to me at the time and that would kind of throw things into like spiraling um also, being arrested, like, have, being arrested would negatively impact my substance use. Um, yeah. I think also, like, it, when when these things happen, there's not enough, like, coping mechanisms and there's real stigma. So, people don't tell their parents. People don't talk to community members. So, like, we, I bottled everything up and... So it would explode and then I'd, you know, go and use more drugs and then I would kind of rein it in. And But I think a lot of it happened because doctors, like that prescription, like I went to the doctor and instead of like taking my car accident seriously and giving me x-rays and like actual treatment, he saw... um the stepbrother that I was with and that he had tattoos and he was like what do you want and he gave us whatever we wanted and he like he made us leave so we I didn't even get an x-ray I just got pills and because at the time oxys were so prevalent they were really easy to get after my prescription ran out so I think that it was also um, the history and the time of the the supply of drugs at the time that really made my drug use shift from having a prescription to going to oxies. And then with opiates, your tolerance builds up. So like you just have to take more and more and eventually taking it's not enough. You have to sniff it eventually sniffing. It's not enough. And some people inject, some people smoke. So like it, it it it's not that difficult to go from having a prescription to being a full-fledged person who uses drugs every day all day just to be well
0: can you describe for us the the life you would live the maybe a, a typical day for you when you were at sort of the height of of your drug use
1: Oh well that that's pretty simple. I mean, I would get up, I would get ready, I'd go to work i i honestly, I don't even I think I would use maybe at work or I've always been on methadone and and now I'm on safer supply, so I think like I was able to use my prescriptions to get through the day, so I didn't have to like use drugs and I was I would go home after work and maybe like use drugs to fall asleep or use drugs to like allow me to do what I needed to do in that day.
0: You mentioned in your answer uh, the term safer supply. Can you uh, I think people might know what methadone is, but they may not understand that term. Can you explain it for us?
1: So, safer supply is um a program that provides methadone is part of it if you want it to be it's more of a like a holistic approach where they provide um a safe supply of substances to replace the fentanyl or the street supply that you're taking for people who are at risk of overdose and stuff so they provide um for like injection or oral oral consumption and that's for like your pain or like your euphoric effect and then they provide cadian as like a backbone support that's morphine um, extended morphine and it that provides like um, a withdrawal management medication and what they found is a lot of times cadian and methadone work together better than either one by itself so a lot of patients end up on methadone cadian and dilaudid's
0: and is that currently what's going on with you?
1: Yeah. Um over the last 2 years my I've been trying to get off of all of it. So my tolerance is very low, so I don't need quite as much as what I did a year ago, but that's currently what I'm on, just a very low dose.
0: At the height of your experience how addicted were you
1: I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was like I say I was more dependent cuz like I could mentally stop using it was more <laughs> the physical issues that I would have and the withdrawal symptoms and the the like the sweating and the hotness and then you're cold and the chills and the body aches and that kind of stuff so that's always been um what's kept me using even like medications this whole time but those medications have also allowed me to not have to worry about getting drugs necessarily so like I would be able to focus on my mental health and getting all the care I needed. And so it was really helpful in that sense.
0: I read that you have from your bio, you've it says you have vast experience with drug use and marginalization. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate on that?
1: So because I'm indigenous, um, I have Had experiences, and because I'm very white, passing the first part of my life due to colonization and the generational trauma and effects of residential school in my family, we didn't really talk about being Indigenous. So, like, I always considered myself white. And then when I started working in social services and in harm reduction, I started acknowledging the indigenous parts of myself and doing ceremonies and then when I gave birth I experienced a whole different side of like the healthcare system I was always treated very well but when I told them I was indigenous I was treated completely different and I was I've had to deal with CAS I've had to deal with um just being or being paid less because I have lived experience and I started my career as a peer Um, I've had I've been arrested multiple times and I've been lucky because I'm educated and I have a good family and I have people to support me but I've if I didn't have some of the opportunities and some of the support I have uh, like I would have been in a way worse position when I was criminalized as well. So and even just the way that I was spoken to when being arrested was like it really showed me how oppressed and marginalized I was as someone who uses drugs and an indigenous person.
0: The term lived experience is a really interesting one. Can you explain what that means to you? So
1: we like to use people with lived and living experience because they're two separate things. People who are using drugs now go through a lot of hardships and a lot of things that people who used to use drugs, who have lived experience, um, go through. So we like to use like living or lived, at least I do. Um, and I just think for for me it means someone who has the experience in the subject matter you're working with so like in social services with drug use we use we like to um try to engage with community members who have experience with drug use we try to um make sure that people who have the experiences and who are affected by the things that that we're talking about are at the table to have those discussions. And so we can learn from them to better the services, to better the support and care.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times your indigeneity. And um, I know in, in the bios that you provide, uh, you emphasize a special meaning to your indigenous or your spirit name. Can you tell the audience what is your spirit name and why it is significant to you?
1: My spirit name is Gatherer of Medicines for the People. Um, it's significant to me because first I got, I got it in two parts. First, it was Gatherer of Medicines, and then I went to another ceremony, and the rest was added. And I, the elder, told me it was because I wasn't ready. Because the first time I did my ceremony, I was using and I wasn't ready for the next part. And so I thought I was like supposed to like make be a medicine person or like collect medicines. And then when I got the second part of my name, gatherer medicines for the people, um, the elder told me it was I was the medicine and I was the one who was going to be helping people, not the medicines, but I would be that medicine. And it's really resonated with me because I got that part of my name once I had been off of the toxic street supply and I was heading in a good direction in my life. So it was really meaningful and it kind of set the stage for a lot of the work I do, a lot of the the passion I have behind things and I've I've learned actually that it's not just me but like my entire family line is we have a lot of um, really strong women who are very um, caring and protective and who are the ones who care for the community so it, it's so fitting because I've always felt like that person who provided for everyone and took care of everyone so it's how it's kind of brought everything full circle for me.
0: Would you mind sharing a bit of your experience in transitioning? It sounded to me when you were talking about your childhood, that the indigenous aspect of your life was not a major focus, but it sounds now like it's a very important part. Can you tell us a bit about that journey and how it played into um, your uh, experiences as a, as a drug user?
1: So being being Indigenous growing up, I didn't really know, I didn't really understand about racism or stigma. I kind of just, everybody kind of kept everything quiet. The regalia was hidden away. No one spoke the language. So I didn't really understand a lot of that. I would ask questions, but I wouldn't really get answers. So it wasn't until my grandfather died last uh, a few years ago that I realized that we he went to day school and was, like, part of the residential school era. And my dad was born in the 60s, so he was part of the 60s scoop era. And, like, I didn't realize that that had such an impact on my family until I was older. But I feel like there was a lot of mental health issues, a lot of addiction issues in my family before I was born that I didn't know about that kind of I guess maybe affected me generationally I don't know but um, yeah and I feel like losing that connection to ceremony and to culture and not knowing who we were or who we like what our history was and our traditions and the things that made us Indigenous like I didn't know those things and I'm still learning those things and I think not knowing who you are plays a big part of needing to cope with all the things that life throws at you.
0: You mentioned a bit about education. What is your educational background?
1: I went to school for PSW um, and I graduated and then I had to stop doing that. And I went to school for a community and justice service worker at Sheridan College. So I have I only have a college degree, really, diploma.
0: I'd like to move on and talk a bit about your activist and advocacy work. Now, your bio says that you are an advocate and activist for people who use drugs. Can you tell us how you got involved and the work you do with them?
1: It was actually through school. Like I had been using drugs before that, but I think that's what led me to school and wanting to make a difference in my career and not just wanting to pick a career just to make money. Um, So right now um, I work with the Ontario network of people who use drugs. That's, that's the organization I founded and how I got started in that was actually through school. We went to um, do student placements and I got an organization that did harm reduction and I worked on um a sex workers needs assessment and we did a lot of like really cool things so I got involved with like harm reduction there and then through that a supervisor of mine um was involved with the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs um it's a national advocacy group and we both became members and then she became a board member um And after that, it was like we were going to like different Health Canada things. We were invited to um, different things with public health to advise on different projects. We were invited to different research groups. And I just started putting myself out there. And over the past year, when I moved out here or the past couple of years, when I moved out here, um, I really started like trying to make that my career because i wanted a flexible schedule and i wanted to make a difference so i just i just honestly sent emails to every project i could any opportunity i heard about i would apply for it and then i started working with dozens of organizations across the country to do advocacy and advise them on their processes and to try to implement policies and stuff
0: so people who use drugs what is that group's mission
1: which there's a there's a lot of um groups with people who use drugs but like the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs and the Ontario Network of People Who Use Drugs I think our main mission is just to improve the life the the lives of people who use drugs and make the world a safer place for our friends because honestly we've lost so many people to overdose and we keep losing our own colleagues and our own friends and families and it's it's overwhelming so we kind of just band together to address these things and just call out things as we see them.
0: How many people have you lost personally?
1: So I was thinking about this the other day and I get to like the the number 50 60 and like I can't count anymore like there's just so many. Um my whole like most of the friends I grew up with or like came up with in high in my late teenage years are dead. A lot of the people I knew in my early adult life, they're all dead. Um and I've seen communities actively like, disregard their lives and not try and not care. And we in Peel, I went to council to beg them for a safe consumption site. what was it, um, twelve years ago, or two two years ago, four years ago? I don't remember anymore. And um they still don't have a site. And we we were crying like there was just so many people with so many stories and it's it's just never enough. Like people, people's lives just don't matter.
0: I was reading that you have a disdain for the way the system criminalizes and kills its most vulnerable members. What system are you talking about and how is it killing these people?
1: Well, the criminal justice system, it. It targets people who are more marginalized, who don't have the money and the resources to fight the system. So I personally have known people who were in jail and were given methadone, let's say, and they weren't even someone who uses drugs. And then that person overdosed and like, that was someone's child that was my friend's child and I just I don't know how someone can go into jail not having done drugs and come out dead of an overdose from methadone like it just from a prescription like I don't get how that happens also the system itself it when you come in contact with the system and you get arrested the shame and the guilt and the things, the the pressures that they put on you and like with probation and all the regulations, it, it really da- puts a damper on people's lives and it can exacerbate people's drug use. Also, when people get released out of jail, there's no kind of exit strategy. They don't help them get onto supports or very many um, and a lot of people come out of jail and use drugs and their tolerances are way lower and they die. So I think we have to really be cognizant of what jail actually accomplishes and does it actually make our community safer? For in some cases, in some with some charges, for sure, we people should go to jail, but for simple possession of drug use. I don't I don't think people should go to jail because they use drugs.
0: If you've been watching the debates locally on the overdose prevention site, I'd be interested in knowing how you would characterize it based on your experience and knowledge.
1: I characterize it as really sad and misinformed. I think a lot of the a lot of the viewpoints are understandable because people this is their community this is a very passionate community um but they don't understand what drugs do to people they don't understand the lives that people who use drugs face they I haven't seen very much um care for human life um for the human lives of people who use drugs I heard someone say that people who use drugs should just stay on palliative care. I mean, if that a year or two ago, I would have been on palliative care and now I do so much good work. So I mean, I don't I'm, I've I feel very um disappointed in the community. I feel disappointed in some of the leadership, but I do I do think that this whole conversation has started some kind of movement. And I feel like people might be safer because of it one day. Um, I also think it's it's sad that the people who know what they're doing the most are the ones that are being villainized. And the people who have done this, like I myself have worked with the organization that helps many of these um OPSs get off the ground from unsanctioned to being sanctioned they have resources to help manual like to help create manuals and to help apply so like I've I've actually helped create these resources and it's a shame that I'm not being utilized or a group of us wouldn't be utilized a lot of us um, just because of our views to save people's lives
0: So how do we get people with lived experience at the table where the decisions are made?
1: I've been trying. (laughs) We've infiltrated Health Canada a little bit. We've infiltrated the provincial government. Public Health Ontario listens to us and they help advocate for us at the local level. Um, But there's not enough of us and there's not Uh, One of the problems I saw in this local area, I did a presentation for um, HKPR's health unit in September. And one thing I realized was the people who use drugs, even the ones who are no longer using drugs, just live in shame and guilt. And they're not being empowered to be active in the community. They're not being empowered to know that there is work out there that's not illegal and like they can do harm reduction and they can work on remotely and do a lot of advising work and research like that hasn't been an option here and my my goal is to make that happen
0: what are some of the myths you would like to dispel about people who use drugs or are addicted
1: well one of the things is uh, there's this um this conflation with the the sleeping cabins project and the op this conflating drug use and homelessness is very stigmatizing and it's it's part of the problem because a lot of people who use drugs use drugs on the weekend use drugs recreationally use them for fun a lot of people who use drugs are not homeless so having the two being conflated have been um, an issue for me personally I don't appreciate that but I I also think that like the people who use drugs are seen as people who don't work who are lazy who just like have no regard for people I think that is the farthest from the truth the people who I know who use drugs are the most community oriented and the most helpful and the most kind people that I've ever met and I'm not I treat everyone like a human and I'm not scared to walk outside at 6 PM after work because I know that at the end of the day, when I see that person, I'm going to be, I'm going to be nice to them. They're going to know me and we're going to have that rapport and that trust already built because that's the way that I approach people. Um, And I don't see a lot of that. So I, I, I think just like, thinking that people who use drugs are theft thieves and like they're going to rob you and they're leaving needles everywhere okay like there may be needles everywhere but that's because they don't have an OPS to use at so I mean yeah like there's a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions and biases and a lot of it stems from old drug policy and old old school things that have actually been not relevant now because the toxic drug supply is so inundated with these research chemicals and it changes so quickly that what what used to work doesn't work so we have to find new solutions and new attitudes.
0: You founded the group Northumberland Drug Users Unite can you explain what it is and what its goals are?
1: So the biggest goal was to empower people who use drugs to get them engaged and like do events and get their input and see what they want their community to look like um r- most recently we've been approved to do um workshops where we're going to do ask the community of people who use drugs what they want a drug strategy to look like um and we're going to teach them because part of what our thing is is if you if you have if you want to have someone with lived experience work with you, they should leave with something money is good, but also I think a skill and that's what we're all about is is engaging with people who use drugs giving them knowledge and informing them and giving them skills that they can then use to make their lives better.
0: I'm sure this is not an easy path you walk. So when the going gets tough, how do you keep moving forward? Oh,
1: Oh, I just got goosebumps. When the going gets tough, I move forward by thinking about all of the people that i've lost all my friends that are dead the experiences that i've had that have shaped my life and put me in the situations i'm in today but i also have an amazing kid so he's he's he keeps me going although it's been it's been a struggle just with all the systems involved but we're getting to a place now where everything's kind of falling into place. So we're. I feel like all these things and all my experiences keep me going and make me a stronger person and give me the resilience I need to just fight whoever I need to fight or whatever I need to fight.
0: If you were sitting down at a kitchen table with a listener and you wanted to leave them with one message, as you're about to leave, what would that message be?
1: Treat the people who use drugs in your community and the people who aren't fortunate to have housing. Treat them like your neighbors because they are. They live on the corner or in the bus stop or wherever they happen to stay. And they're in your community all day, every day. So I, I feel like everybody would be safer and feel safer if people who use drugs were treated like their neighbors and like the neighbors they are. Also, I would, I would love everyone to just know that people who use drugs are some of the most amazing people I've ever met and the most resilient and the most helpful and the most kind and caring. And if you actually sat down and had a real conversation like this with someone that you see that uses drugs at at the coffee shop, for example, I think you'd find that we all have a lot more in common and we should all just come together to keep everyone safe.
0: What's next for you?
1: Oh, what's next for me? I plan on... I plan on doing a lot of advocacy and a lot of educating um i i plan on having a lot of hard conversations in the coming months probably but i'm hopeful um and i'm determined to try to get an ops somewhere here in this county if it's not an ops some sort of place where people can consume drugs safely and not die
0: Ashley Smoke, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. That was Ashley Smoke, a person from Northumberland County with lived experience with drug use. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in.